Thanks for listening to the How Not to Think podcast. I'm Dr. Howard Rankin, welcoming you to the show that considers topics like cognitive bias, binary thinking, stereotypes, all of which influence how we think. If you want to delve deeper into this topic, please check out my book, I Think, Therefore I'm Wrong, available at Amazon, and my author page there, Dr. Howard J. Rankin, where you'll find several other books of mine, and you can also check out my website at drhowardjrankin.com. Thank you. Today's guest comes to us from just outside Toronto, uh, George Torok, T-O-R-O-K, as he explained to me, is an expert in communication. Uh, he has his own podcast, Your Intended Message, uh, and I was honored to be a guest on his show recently. Uh, he's got a lot of interesting things to say about the critical topic of communication. Welcome, George. It's great to have you with us. Howard, it's, I'm delighted to be with you here on your podcast. Yeah. Great. So first question I typically ask uh, all my guests is, so how did you get to be where you are today in this field? And the, the short answer is, it was a series of mistakes that worked out, that just worked out. And, and, I'll, and I'll take you back to one of the um, pivotal, if you know, if I can hate to overuse that word, pivotal moments. Um, it, I was working for a large corporation and who, who, who believed in training their staff, and I had just signed up for a two-day course on presentation skills. And I went to my boss to get approval, and he, said, and he approved it. And then he said, you know, but George, I've seen you present. You're good enough. You don't need this. And I thought, yeah, I'm good enough. And that was the attitude that I took when I went to this two-day workshop. And when I came away from that workshop, there were two big ahas for me, and it was on presentation skills. And I was doing a fair bit of presentation skills, presentations at the time. The two big ahas, number one, I wasn't as good as I thought I was. <laughs> and, Fancy that, huh? And, and yeah, and, and, and you know, no one else can tell you that. Mm-hmm. No one else can tell you that. And, 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 when, you know, and, and the second big aha is that it wasn't about talent. Effective presentation was all about technique. And the technique was based on principles, principles of communication and behavior and persuasion and, and techniques that could be learned and, and improved and adapted to your own style. So you don't have to speak like everyone else, you, but the techniques are key. And when I came away from that, I was thrilled and I volunteered to do more presentations. I got to the point where I volunteered to chair a conference for association that I was a member of. And as a result of that experience, I came back to the to the people who ran the workshop and I said, you know, I want to do this speaking thing for a living. <laughs> and, and they gave me some advice. And the first piece of advice they said was, don't quit your day job just yet. <laughs> Just hang on to there. But they gave me a few other pieces of advice. They say, go to Toastmaster so you get good at craft. Uh, two, in the beginning, speak to anybody, anywhere for for nothing, just to get experience, to build a network, and, and to get testimonials. Three, develop an area of expertise. 
because speakers are a dime a dozen, experts are valuable. And, and, and so that's where I, I followed their advice. It took years, but um, mm-hmm. and I was able to, uh, to launch on my own. And in the beginning, I was just thrilled with being in front of people and delivering a message. Right. At some point, I was approached and asked to coach an executive on their presentations. And I was intrigued and I thought, hmm, I don't know if I can do that. I went to my mentor, got some advice and followed his advice and, and there launched my coaching career as well. That's great. Yeah. Great journey, really. And um, sounds like one that, you know, I'm sure there were some hiccups along the way, but once you came out of that, first conference you mentioned um that sounded like uh, that was pretty good path from then on you had an idea of what you wanted to do you honed your skills you talked to the experts you got mentors and you found your way um and, and so that's a great example of properly applying what you know and getting it done you know uh so so excellent and so now you do coaching for speakers corporations generally my my key market for coaching is is executives executives ceos executives senior leaders in in generally in business that seems to be a good match for me because i have i do understand the business and ceos business leaders the best ones understand that it's about the nuances they they don't come to me asking for a magic pill saying you know george i'm my presentations suck can you make me a god and i say no i can't that's not my job (laughs) i can't do that but if you're good i can make you a lot better Mm -hmm. yeah very very important and and communication at all levels at all levels is just a poorly understood hardly ever taught topic you know uh and you know i think i think you know this i feel the same way about it and in my experience where i got to it was as i think we mentioned in the podcast before you know i was 20 years into a clinical career of trying to help people and i realized a large part of this isn't about being knowing the techniques of behavior change and what have you. It's being able to reach people where they're at and motivate them to do it. If you don't do that, it's kind of a waste of time. And that was a sort of major, major insight for me. Um, And that's why I'm about to launch a course on communication for people in those helping professions. Because so much of the time people go with it, well, I'm the authority, because I'm the doc, you're going to listen to me. And that is unfortunately not true. And 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 as you know, Howard, there there you if you want to move people, you need to go to where they are. You need to understand their mindset. You need to, the first your listener, whether it's you're talking to one person across the room or whether you're talking to a room full of a boardroom or even on a stage to hundreds of people, the first thing that they need to realize is that you understand them. 
is that you can see it from their point of view. And you don't do that by saying, oh, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling. No, you don't. But you need to demonstrate that you understand where they're coming from, their struggles, and and you need to bring them along. You can't say, well, here's how you do it. I'll tell you, you know, here's my five-step rule. Just follow this and you'll be there. Like, no. <laughs> nope. Doesn't work that way, Howard. <laughs> no, no. Talent ain't training. Talent ain't teaching. And talent certainly isn't motivating, right? Uh, and that's not how it works. That's a very outdated old technique i'm not even sure it worked you know 50 years ago uh, but it certainly doesn't work today that you've got to it's really about the listener as you said you've got to show them that you understand and resonate with them you're not you know moses coming down the mountain with the ten commandments and telling them what you need to do that's probably not going to work. Probably didn't work very well for Moses either, if you think about it. You know, so, uh, you know, the fact is, um, it isn't, you know, telling people it's just not enough. It just isn't. Yeah, and, and, and you're right. You can't go around calling people sinners and saying, I know the answer. Uh, I will, you know, I'll, I'll save you. Uh, no, you've got you've to demonstrate your, your humility, your flaws. Uh, it, it's interesting when I went in one of my presentations, I would start with two stories. And the first story was a success story, but it wasn't my success. It was mm -hmm. the success of a client mm -hmm. where, you know, where this client was and, and, and how they, how that client is the hero of the story. Or mm -hmm. the story. And the second story I would tell uh, uh, a story about an embarrassing moment for me. And, and 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 the reason I do that is first the success story speaks to success and, and that it's not about me, it's about if they can identify with my client, then they can see success. And the second story is about my embarrassment, my imperfection, that I'm human like them, and so now they can connect. Now they understand that I'm not there to say how perfect I am. Right. I'm there to say, <laughs> uh, you know, look how I messed up. Yes, yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely and and uh, it's always, I think, good to use yourself as examples of failure or struggle or what have you, uh, rather than pretending you are above and beyond all that. Because as soon as people think that, you've lost them, by and large. Right? You've lost them. Yeah, a big, a big mistake. And this probably, this probably was a piece of advice that probably started in the 50s or the 60s, if you used to read a presentation book or a book on public speaking, it would tell you, you should start with a joke. <laughs> no, that doesn't work. You can start with humor, but that's mm. not the same as a joke. Correct. Most jokes put people down. So you're yep. not bringing people to you, you're pushing them away. You might say, but th th there's none of those people in the room. Well, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are people in the room who will be offended. And that's why it's always best if you're gonna use humor, it's about your own- About yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have a good example of that, an unfortunate one. Uh, when I was working at a place, uh, we had a professional speaker come in and talk about something. And he started off with a joke about somebody who stuttered. Uh, what he didn't know is that one of the group uh, had a bad stutter. And he was off to the wrong, off on the wrong foot, 
completely. He defended everybody in the room with his first inappropriate joke. Joke, right? Yeah, I, I agree. If you're going to make humor, make yourself the butt of the joke. Yeah. Otherwise, don't bother. <laughs> yeah, it's too difficult. Otherwise, yeah? and you've got to show that. You've got to show you're prepared to see your own failures and weaknesses before you're going to tell everyone else how you know what they need to do. Yeah. When I had. Uh... When my my kids are grown now, but when they were t going through the teenager stage, I would tell a story about you know the struggles, you know the, the the conversations I'd have with my teenagers and and the angst it was causing me. And the interesting thing is, people would come up to me after, and they tell me about their teenagers. And and that's how you know when you've connected with the audience, when the audience mm -hmm. takes what you said and they make it their own and they tie it to their own story. That's when you've connected. Absolutely. And yes, and a good evidence of that is indeed when they come up to you after the event, which, you know, requires effort. They don't have to do that uh, to actually uh, say that it resonated with them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that's excellent. Excellent. And it is interesting. I don't, it seems to me that there are a lot of public speakers out there who really haven't studied this and don't, don't know some of these foundational principles. Now, you work with that audience or that group more than I do. Is that, is that a fair comment or not? Yeah, that, Howard, that is a fair comment. There's a lot of people out there. See, in order to become uh, a public speaking or presentation coach or trainer or self-called expert or guru there are no qualifications all <laughs> you right. need is all you need is uh, is is that you know your mother to call you that and you can say well no one as the guru on uh, so there is no qualification and i am often here's here i'm often amazed i'm often upset and at the same time encouraged when i see other so-called um, speaking coaches present communication coaches make major faux pas now i'm i'm annoyed by by the nonsense they're spreading but at mm. the same time i'm thinking okay now they just created a market i can fix that problem <laughs> that they've been teaching people to do wrong <laughs> yes good opportunities for you Let's talk about that, you know, in in the sort of broad spectrum of advice on speaking. What what are some of the things that you think are a little more absurd and, and incorrect that you've come across? Well, one is when people claim that they will, a coach says, well, I'll help you deliver a perfect presentation. And no, that doesn't exist. People come to me say, and they say, George, can you help me deliver a perfect presentation? The answer is no. There is no perfect. I've never seen perfect. I've never delivered perfect. I keep getting better all the time, but never mm. perfect. And the goal is not about being perfect. The goal is about being effective. And, and too, many, too many speakers feel that, oh, well, I, I covered all my material. It's irrelevant. Here's how, and, and here's uh, people say, you know, how, how do you know if it was a successful presentation? And I've asked this question of audiences, and I get answers. Well, it was, it was a successful presentation if they stayed there to the end. No one <laughs> fell asleep. No, no one, uh, they asked questions at the end. They applauded. Those are not signs of success. 
those might be symptoms, but the only sign of success is as a result of your presentation, here's the three-part question I tell people to ask themselves. What is it that you want the audience to think, feel, or do? Think, feel, or do. You only speak to move people. And if you have moved people, it was a successful presentation. Doesn't matter that you left something out. Doesn't matter that you said a word wrong. Doesn't matter that there was some tweet, you know, some problem with the technology. Doesn't matter that there was more noise from the next room. None of that matters. I mean, you know. Ideally, you don't want that. Yeah, yeah, yeah ideally, but... you don't want that. But did you move them? And if you moved them, in the direction you wanted to move them, it was a success. And by the way, you will never move a hundred percent. And 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 I and I throw out this, as all speakers do, we make up statistics on in the moment. <laughs> so here's one. Here's one of the one of the few that I throw out, and I tell people I say the numbers are not exact. It's the concept that's that's important. In any audience, there's ten percent of the people who hate you. No matter what you do, what you say, how you say it, they will hate you. Then there's 10% who love you. They think you're, you're perfect. You walk on water. You can't do any wrong in their eyes. And then there's that other 80% who can be moved. And so I tell them, forget, forget that first 20%. Focus on the 80% that you can move. Too many people folk think that, you know, they've got fans, so I'll talk only to the fans, but then you're missing all that 80%. And, you know, the numbers aren't specific, right. but it's the concept that counts. No, oh, no, I think that's, I think that's true. <clears throat> and it's very important to recognize that. I mean, you're not going to, I mean, you'd have to have a very, that's a very unrealistic expectation uh, of speaking generally and of yourself that you could win over or resonate with a hundred percent of, of people, you know? And also there's another thing here. So we'll come back to those absurd suggestions, but there's something here that, that I'm reminded of, you know, often when people say, Oh, I loved that book. You know, let's say, and you ask them what they loved about it, they'll come up with one thing typically that really made an impression on them, you know? So, you know, you might make 10 points in your presentation, but if they resonate with one, at least one thing, just one, they'll say that was great. I learned just like you did coming out of that, uh, that speakers conference where you said there were two things that, actually resonated with you so you don't have to win on every point you're not going to do that some are going to appeal to some parts of the audience some others but if one thing resonates with them enough so that it moves them then you've been successful i would say right definitely yeah if they can remember one point one critical message one critical lesson then it was successful then you've moved them. They're not going to remember all Everything. 10 or 14 and, and <laughs> don't give us 27 benefits. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I once, I once, and, and here's an example, Howard, I, I attended a, a presentation, uh, uh, a, a, a company owner had received an, a, a, an award from the local chamber and, and he stood up, he had 30 minutes to speak and he was going to tell us, you know, the lessons that made his company so successful and there were 14 lessons. I looked at my watch, I said, 30 minutes, he doesn't have enough time. No. And, you know, I did not remember any of the 14. 
Instead of making one, two, or three key ideas and just hammering home 14 is too many. Yeah. It's too many. You know, you know, your first response is, oh my God, how am I going to process 14? And, and, and in your perspective, he's not going to be able to get through any one of them in any depth. Uh, and so you've lost people right off the bat. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think that's a good example of how what is seemingly a small thing can wreck the whole thing, right? Wreck the whole thing. Um, and, and that le- actually leads um, nicely into one one big mistake, common mistake for many presenters, is they try to deliver too much information. They think, they believe it's about information. Well, I, I told them everything I know. <laughs> really? That's all you know? <laughs> you don't know a heck of a lot, do you? And by the way, we don't want to know everything you know. We just want your your insights into what the priorities are, what's most important. If we could, if we could do only one thing to get on this journey, what is that one thing? That's what that's what more speakers need to do and understand. It's not about covering the whole everything. No, no, no. I I totally agree with that. I and the same applies actually to writing. Uh, the beginning of my writing career, I had a really good a mentor who told me, "Howard, you don't have to tell me everything you know." about this subject in this book. You really don't. And the same goes to speaking because it's fundamentally the same process. You're trying to engage people and there's too much irrelevant stuff or too much stuff generally and it becomes overwhelming to people. You want to keep it simple, clear, right? I think. Def- yeah, you, and you got to remember, if you're the one speaking on this topic, it's probably because you have the experience, the wisdom, you've spent time and effort studying it and, and learning it, and it's taken you time. So you can't give them everything that you've got in just one great big pill that you're going to shove down their throat. They, they, they don't want that. They need to start at the beginning with something that they can grasp. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And... Again, I think that is a big communication mistake across, you know, many fields, whether we're talking about speaking or writing or presenting or what have you. Um, it's not about the amount of information uh, you give at all. You know, be far better to make three really relevant points that resonate than 10 that, are, meh, you know, he's just going through a list. I could have got this from Google, you know, sort of thing, right? And, and. You're, you're right, and, and, and it's easy for us to remember three. We can remember three things. You know, for example, everyone, you probably remember, most of us remember the three houses that the three little pigs built. We, <laughs> we remember what they were built of. But how many people can name all seven dwarfs? <laughs> Hmm, let me think. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Magic number seven, plus or minus two. Famous psychologist, George Miller, said uh, many years ago is what we can remember. So, yeah, seven's too many. Yeah, three's probably good. Five, maybe, depending on what you're talking about. Um, no, no, I agree completely. And uh, again, the key thing is reaching the audience and, res- and getting it to resonate with them. 
And if you don't know much about the audience, that's a challenge. So part of this is, of course, finding out as much as you can beforehand about that audience, whether that's a person or a group or a meeting or 100 people. What, what characterizes them? What motivates them? What are they interested in? Because without that, how can you tailor your message appropriately? Yep, you're right. You've got to use use words and language that they understand. So, are you talking people in in the medical profession? Are you talking to salespeople? Are you talking to IT? You know, IT coders. Are, are you talking to uh, uh, plant workers? Are you talking to CE? You know, who are you? You've got to use their language, and so. And, and simple mm-hmm. things like when you talk, and, and at one time I spoke to a lot of associations and mm-hmm. discovered that they had different names, f- f- different concepts for how they saw their members. Some of them called them members. Mm-hmm. Some of them called them associates. Some of them, you know, so they had these different right. terms for, and, and so if you go there and use in the wrong word, they're, they're sitting there going like, this, this guy doesn't know and, us at all. <laughs> yeah, and it only takes one slip like that oh especially early on you right you never get a second chance to make a first impression uh i do think how you start out is very important because you really can lose people right off the bat and i'm sure you've seen that very much and 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 yeah and, and you're right harold the the, the first the, howard uh, the first impression is powerful because it's the first impression Mm-hmm. And 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 it the first impression should not be, oh, thank you for inviting me here to speak. I'm so honored. This is wonderful. I know so and so. Like that's not a that's not a good first impression. You need to open with a uh, grab attention, a strong statement, a, a question, perhaps a short anecdote or story, but something that grabs her attention right from the beginning. And for the same time, you need to close strong too, because that's the last impression. Mm-hmm. And we tend to remember first and last. Right. Primacy, recency. Yep. No, absolutely. And yeah, I think that is a mistake. I've certainly made that, I think, many times in the past. Um, thank you for having me. It's great to be here with you all. <laughs> Yeah, get on with it, mate. <laughs> um, you know, so, uh, yeah, very, very, very important. And this just speaks to communication in general. I mean, the principles that you're talking about here in presentation are really fundamental to communication, period, right? Whether you're talking with a family member, a friend, or whoever, whoever. Um, if you are trying to convey something rather than just idle chatter, if you're trying to convey something and move people, these are the tools you really need to understand. Um, Yeah, maybe not as grandiose as a presentation, but you still need to think, where is this person at? Um, How am I going to be able to connect and resonate with them the most to move them? Otherwise, you're just telling them probably they'll put up a barrier and you probably lost any opportunity you have of real communication. And that's a good test, especially when you're in um, individual conversations and emotions start to rise. That's And, and mm-hmm. I know this is tough to do. You know, I, I face the same 
problem. You know, there are certain things people can touch your emotional triggers and, 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 and you then become a slave to their, you know, their triggers. And you've got to, you got to step back literally and think, okay, what was the purpose of this conversation again? And, and why is it going in that direction? Is that where I really want it to go? And, 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 and I know it's not easy to do, but it's important to uh, disentangle and observe what's going on. Ooh, I'm getting angry about this. <laughs> I know what I want to yep. say. Do I really, should I, I'll regret it later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And that's where I think emotional control, emotional intelligence really comes into play, is to be able to recognize the feelings that might be kind of coming up inside you and not allowing them to take over because once you've done that any strategic plans you have kind of go out the window you you know you end up in a shouting match that doesn't do anyone any good really um yeah so that that's actually a key point of interpersonal communication is you know how do i respond when somebody is negative or kicks back or is abusive or you know clearly isn't resonating or completely disagrees with me how do i respond to that and and in my experience what i've seen and you've probably seen this too howard is that the key is you you don't respond you need to and what you need to do is you need to think about these situations ahead of time and saying when this happens because it probably will happen how what would be my preferred way to re to react so so don't react respond in a prepared manner and 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 you have and and you know and and, and you know sales do this. They learn this because they know there's going to be objections. They know there's going to be tough questions. Well, your price is too high. Uh, I, I heard that you had mm -hmm. that environmental problem at your plant. Uh, and salespeople prepare for all these. Mm -hmm. And we need to re become salespeople. Well, uh, you know, again, it's about preparation. Um, and that's all part of the preparation, just as a speaker presumably would anticipate the sort of questions they might get and be able to respond to that rather than be you know caught out and say well that's a very good uh, question um, let me think about that <laughs> right right so yeah absolutely just just in the same way a professional speaker would need to think about what people might say and how that would be addressed we need to do that in our interpersonal communication too because we can anticipate typically we can anticipate when we're getting into touchy subjects or dangerous waters people might misinterpret it you know how do you communicate and then respond not react to whatever the other person does because it's real easy to wind i mean wind each other up and, 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 and Howard, you just pointed out an important point there, the importance of preparation. One piece of advice that some people follow is, uh, oh, I'm, I'm better when I, when I just, you know, wing it. I know my stuff and I just stand up and, well, maybe sometimes you are. However, what happens when you get into trouble? And, 
and really, and who's the judge of whether you were good? You think you were good? That that's not the judge. That's not the measurement, and and that tends to be more introverts who feel that way because they like making noise. They like putting energy. They like being the center of attention. And not that they're bad people. They that, that's how they get energy. Mm-hmm. And so they're feeling good, so therefore the audience must feel good. Well, right. not necessarily. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. Yeah, and you're exactly right, um, especially people who have anxiety about speaking, and they imagine it's going to be you know, horrendous, and they sort of get their way through it. And because they have, and it hasn't been horrendous, they overvalue the presentation. Um, yeah, they may not have convinced anyone of anything, but at least they didn't break down and, you know, what have you. So I think I think that's I think that's actually right. Who judges you? How do you judge your presentation? Um, you can't do it yourself. It's interesting. I don't know whether you've come across this. One of the most difficult types of presentation that I have tried in the past is actually stand-up comedy. Mm. And one of the reasons for that is the reaction of the audience is really critical. So you're giving a, you're giving a typical speech you, you, presentation, you're hoping that people are getting it and what have you. You know, you can convince yourself they are, what have you. But if you give a joke you think's really funny and nobody laughs, you've got instant feedback right then that you are not connecting at all with with the audience. And honestly, stand-up was one of the most difficult things to do because of that, because you're getting instant feedback on what you're doing, you know? Either they're laughing or they're not. <laughs> And, you know, you give your best joke and it's quiet. Oh, you really got to be careful then about what you tell yourself and not go off track. And, oh, if they didn't laugh at this, they're not going to laugh at that. I better change it. <laughs> it's, it's really a challenge. And I think one of the reasons I hadn't articulated this before, but having this conversation with you uh, articulates it is stand up. You get instant feedback as to whether you're getting to the audience or not in a way that is a little more obscure in a presentation, right? Somebody could be sitting there unless they've fallen asleep, you know, they may be taking notes or what have you, you think they're engaged, but are they really, you know? Well, kudos to you, Howard, for, for attempting stand-up because I, I do believe it, it, it is the most difficult type of presentation because of that instant feedback and because you're looking for those laughs and it's and it's difficult to make people laugh and 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 stand up comics that's a great training in fact i anyone it just you know f- go take a course on mm-hmm. on stand up comedy or improv mm-hmm. improv, improv is another another technique and and improv isn't necessary People think that improv is about making people laugh. No, improv is about being in the moment, which was which is great training, because I, I took a course on on improv, and 
and and when I started, I was already delivering presentations to hundreds of people. Mm. However, when I went to the class and the instructor said, you, you, and you up the front of the room, and there's only about a dozen of us in the room, I was nervous. I was mm -hmm. nervous as, as all heck because I'm, I'm thinking, well, what do I do? What do we do? And the instructor said, just follow him. Well, what he's, what's he going to do? <laughs> just, just follow him. And improv teaches you to be in the moment and be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes, absolutely. Very good point. Really a good point. Yeah, because that is, as you said, some people use, oh, well, I'm in the moment. I know how to do it. I don't have to prepare. I don't have to do anything. That's obviously false. But good performance is about being in the moment. You're not overthinking things. You've you've got it well practiced. You've got it well prepared. You can be authentic. Uh, and it comes across that that way. But that doesn't mean you don't practice, you don't, don't do anything. What you do is, as you now point out, you practice the improv, you're practicing being in the moment, right? Uh, and, and I think that's, 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 that's great, great suggestion. Uh, because I do think that's absolutely right. Absolutely right. One, one example, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of Robin Williams. And, and I've watched, uh, watched him uh, deliver programs as well as on interviews and and I mean he's he's funny he's hilarious and it's interesting I one time I was watching a presentation uh, with a buddy and my buddy says Robin Williams is a genius and I said yes he is a genius and he's a great technician Hmm. because I can see because I know the technique I can right. see the techniques and people think that he's just totally improvising every time mm -hmm. he's rehearsed the only thing that changes in his different programs is the sequence <clears throat> the se and, <throat> and the sequence is based on triggers that he sees in the audience he sees he, he sees Howard there a guy with a bald head so he tells the bald head story he sees George there in a the red shirt he tells the story about the guy in a red shirt he see you know so he just it's just the sequencing but everything is rehearsed and and, and you see it delivered the same way uh, in various interviews mm. and programs and, and and yeah and he was a genius as well but most importantly he rehearsed he prepared yeah, and you, you know you can't be excellent at anything unless you have mastered the skills so well that they're like second nature, and then you can fine tune them and you can present them and do that anywhere. Uh, I just don't believe you know suddenly oh you've got the talent you haven't done anything, just stand up and do your thing and you're going to be great. No, you know if you're musician you you have spent tons of hours <laughs> training your brain and your fingers to go in the right place um when you're playing it you might be in the flow and and because you've well practiced it but it's because you've well practiced it you can do that so i think it's interesting now that you mentioned that public speaking could be an area where people think oh he's he's very likable and you know he he's good at talking and you could go and therefore he's going to make a great public speaker not if he hasn't learned the things that you're talking about right yeah and and too too many people they make that mistake to think that and and so here's the question i would pose to them i would say well how's your golf game all right, why don't you just go compete in the Masters? Like, you don't have to practice. Just show up. You'll do good. 
Right. You know, or, or how's your tennis game? Go, you know, go play at the U.S. Open and see, you know, go and, and, and go up against Serena Williams, see yeah. how well you do. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's right. And because communication is something that we do, typically not very well, um, people assume, therefore, I can do it. Um, but there's a whole set of skills here that are really critical. Um, and it's not you know, not widely recognized. I mean, and there are people like you working in the field and in the business field, but you know, why isn't community, why isn't this stuff taught in school? And, and why aren't teachers taught it too? Because. <laughs> yeah, I, I no good, good point. I, and, and it's, it's not taught. I remember, you know, I went to, to school and university and, and, you know, you might've had to stand up uh, once in a while and, and deliver a, a report or, um, or, mm. or some poetry or, you know, you had to memorize in high school, you had to had memorize uh, a, a section of Shakespeare and, you know, but, but we didn't learn how to communicate. And yeah, and, and I've been to, um, I've, I've presented to teachers at a teacher's conference where some of them did some of the speaking activities. And I'm thinking, they don't know how to talk to adults. <laughs> no, that's right. No, 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 that's right. It's, uh, I mean, it's a huge problem, I think, in the education system. There's no question about that. Um, and I think I may have told you this, you know, when I w was in practice and I had clients who were in the education system, whether that was kindergarten or graduate level, I'd ask them this question, you know, what's your favorite subject? And they would all come back no, a lot of them would come back with the same answer. And it's not a subject, and it's not recess. And what it was, was the subject taught by my favorite teacher. Ah. Bingo. Mm. The one that could reach them, the one they resonated with, the one they, for whatever reason, whether the teacher used specific tools or not, if there's that connection... There's the communication. There's the engagement. There's the interest. Otherwise, it's boring as hell. Yeah, and, and curious enough, um, I, I remember taking calculus uh, at university, uh, and I wasn't so keen on the subject, but the professor who taught it, he made it come alive, and he'd talk about, and he'd put Newton Newton, who created calculus, he, you know, he talked about Newton, and you know, every class, and and you know, on Newton's birthday, he let us know this was Newton's birthday, and and so he brought that personality, which made it less painful. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, calculus. Yeah, and you, your brain is more alive when you're in that class, you know, and that's what you have to do. You have to gain the attention. Kids sitting in class are not necessarily going to pay attention just because they're there. Um, you hope they will, but they're probably not. And you have to do that. And that's, again, this, this whole issue of communication goes across everything, but certainly in the education setting, uh, in, even in uh, you know, health and wellness, medical matters, how things are conveyed to patients. You know, and a lot of the evidence is patients forget what their doctor, most of what their doctor told them within, you know, five minutes of, of leaving the office. Stuff like that, I think, is so important. And yet we know, we know what needs to be done for this to be made more effective. And it isn't, honestly, it isn't rocket science, right? But it is important.
and yeah, and and you 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 mentioned a couple couple points there that that um, that I thought I'd reinforce. Uh, yeah, the kids. Students today, they aren't, they aren't learning how to present, and and here's the danger. That, here's what I'm seeing from 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 kid, well, okay, young adults uh, coming out of college and university. They're being taught. They think that their professor is the model for presentation mm -hmm. skills. And so they think that what they do is they put up a slide, put a lot of text on it, drone on, uh, drone on about it for a while, even read the text to them as if they are kindergarten kids who can't read. You've got, you know, teacher's going to read the fairy tale. And the, here's another mistake, too. And I understand why this happens, but it's a mistake. They, they want this concept of team presentations. So every person on the team, there's four people on the team, they all have to speak for the equal amount of time, and they're, you know, they're judged on their participation, not on the effectiveness of a presentation. And an effective presentation doesn't have four people speaking. <laughs> It has one person taking the lead and maybe other people who are resources. Mm, and, and, and the way and, and the way the place to learn that, like many other examples, is in the entertainment world. Look mm -hmm. at all the the, the duets, uh, you know, the comedy acts that used to have, you know, well, let's Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller, mm -hmm. for example. There's 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 a pair of people. Only one guy speaks, the other guy never talks, but he's there as a foil. For the other person, he serves a di different purpose, and together they, they serve it up. Yep. That's a good point. Excellent. Excellent point. Yeah. 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 Totally, totally on the mark there. Uh, yeah. Team presentation. Hmm. Yeah. Not such a great idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, George, this has been awesome, as always. It's always great talking with you. Obviously, we share some of these uh same interests in, and then value the importance of communication. So I really appreciate what you do. Um, where, if people are interested in you, where can they find you? It will be in the show notes, but uh, I want you to be able to tell them. Uh, the easiest site to find me is torok.com. And, 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 and as I mentioned earlier to you, Howard, it's T-O-R-O-K.com. And that site can connect you with my other sites as well. Right. And you're including your podcast, right? Yep. Uh, and Excellent. the podcast is your intended message. I invite you to listen in, especially to the discussion I had with, with Howard Rankin, uh, which, was, which was fun. Some gr great insights. And we yeah. connected. Yeah. Well, awesome, George. We'll do it again. Take care. And uh, thank you for your insights on this very important topic. You bet. Thank you, Howard. I'm delighted to be with you on the How Not to Think podcast, uh, because I'm good at not thinking. <laughs> Perhaps we should call it How Not to Communicate podcast. <laughs> Take care, George. Take care.